Hi guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of Let's Chat Ethics. I'm your co-host, Ariana. And I'm your other co-host, Amanda. And this week we have a super exciting guest. So we have Kate Devlin here with us, who is a senior lecturer in social and cultural artificial intelligence, sorry, (laughs) at King's (laughs) College London. And her research um, focuses on sex, intimacy, um, bias in artificial intelligence, human-computer interaction, and sort of this, uh, the interaction, I guess, between all, all of these things. Um, and she is also the author of Turned On, uh, which is a book about sex robots, intimacy, uh, etc. Hopefully, uh, yeah, Kate, if I've missed anything. Um, no, that I'm sounds pretty comprehensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being here. So I have read your book actually now like I think twice I have been <laughs> really enjoying it like I was telling you I was listening to it while I was cooking and so my brother was also listening to it um and so this is a book about sex robots but it's about so much more right um sort of uh, like I said I guess in the introduction intimacy and and technology and I think one of the things that really sort of struck me about your your book is that I think it's the first book I've read that writes quite positively about sex robots um I think the then I don't know my feeling is that people tend to be quite like oh no sex robots and I don't know if that's part of the taboo about them I think it is there's a lot of panic about it a lot of a lot of moral panic as well uh I think there's a very natural fear that comes um, around the onset of new technology and particularly when it's something so personal so yes, there is a lot of panic and the media doesn't really help that because it publishes these really sensationalist headlines about it all. But I'm quite a techno-optimist, so I didn't necessarily think it was going to be completely brilliant or utopian, but I didn't think it was as bad as people were making out. So I was keen to go into this to explore how technology could be something beneficial and could actually enhance intimacy, not just um, with the machine itself, but between other humans. That's so interesting. How 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 do you um how do you feel that the the intimacy would be um enhanced through uh, technology? Like, how do you think that would kind of coincide with intimacy, like human relationships as well? Well, we see we've seen the huge reliance in the past year during the pandemic on technology, and to a degree, we've been using that technology in intimate ways. So not necessarily sexual, but in order to maintain closeness with other people, and we can foresee a future, a near future, where that technology can enhance how we interact. Um, It could perhaps um, prompt us to interact better with each other. It could foster a sense of closeness for people who are apart. Um, But maybe even setting up these new bonds between humans and the technology itself. So if you look at how quickly voice assistants became popular and how keen people are to interact with chatbots, as that improves and improves, it's it's nowhere near perfect yet, um, you can see these bonds forming and it doesn't take very much for us to form bonds with the technology. Um, I mean, I've even given my robot vacuum cleaner a name and I like to talk to him <laughs> as he trundles around. Look, I'm gendering him already. Yeah, <laughs> He's called Babbage. Oh, <laughs> Babbage, I love that. I like that. <laughs> oh, so actually... <clears throat> In the book, you often say that there are no real sex robots right now on, on the market and there's more like sex dolls. So I guess maybe you could explain also for the audience sort of what is the, the difference between them and also is there something 
specifically different between um, like sex toys, sex dolls, and sex robots. Maybe maybe it's a yeah, big yeah. So there there aren't any commercially available sex robots, despite the headlines that tell you these are taking over the world. What <laughs> there currently are are a few workshops worldwide, literally only a handful, that are trying to create sex dolls that have some kind of mechanization or uh, animatronics in them. The closest anyone has got is a company in the US called Abyss Creations. And they normally make what we know as sex dolls, which are these life-sized, um, quite expensive and well-crafted dolls that people use, not just for sex, but to form relationships with, or they collect them, or they model them and pose them. And they have built what uh, a robot they call Harmony. And Harmony is basically a sex doll from the neck down. So it can't stand up on her own, has no movement in the body. And again, I'm gendering her because it's easier and I'll get into that a bit too. Um, but Harmony has an animatronic head so she can twist her head a little and smile and blink and move. And it's, it's actually quite lifelike. But Harmony is available for pre-order but has not yet shipped commercially. So there's still not any commercially available sex robots. So we don't really know who the market is because it's a sex doll company. That would suggest that the people then expect to buy these things are the people who are already buying these dolls from them. Um, there's another company in China that's trying to build um, a sex robot, similar lineage, you know, coming out of that sex doll market. Um, beyond that, that's it. There's no mass market. There's no heavy investment in this. It's really small scale and almost artisan. Sex toys, by comparison, huge market, absolutely huge. These tend to be um, things like vibrators or dildos or even artificial vaginas, um, butt plugs, uh, all of these things that are things small objects um and things that also resemble like body parts rather than the whole body whereas the sex robot is an embodiment of a particularly female form so it's usually a envisaged as a very reductive female stereotype and although there's been lip service paid to building male ones that's not really happened it's more a tokenistic gesture Mm. no 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 you guys (laughs) Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the, I guess the, um, the gendering and the, you know, obviously that's something that's closer to to my research. Um, and yeah, I remember I saw the when I saw the headlines about there being a male sex robot. Uh, and always my question was, does it do anything other than just kind of lie there? <laughs> and <laughs> is this really built for women? Because I don't know, in in, in my mind. I don't know if it's the an, an idea or a stereotype, but I, I think women's sexuality is a little bit different, maybe. Um, where yeah, I think I think that is the case. So the of the customers of the sex doll, they do have some female female customers who are buying sex dolls, but they do make male versions of those dolls. But they tend to be bought uh, more by gay men than by straight women. Uh, so this is really a market that is um, overall cornered by men. Um, I think it's also very hard. We know that when you work in in research around sexuality, it's really, really difficult to find out um, what women are thinking because they are much, much more likely to underreport sexual behavior. Uh, That's a very socialized thing. Mm -hmm. And men are much more likely to overreport. And there's lots of evidence to show this. So it's also, you know, it's taboo enough to own a sex doll. It's doubly taboo, triply taboo if you're female. 
so we just don't know but there doesn't seem to be that appetite um for women and i think there's there's maybe there's quite a few cultural things playing into that so not just this taboo but also that when i started doing research into who was you know who who might the potential audience be a lot of the people were looking for companionship and i think there is in in our western society it is harder for men to build that emotional connection and companionship because of things like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. it's you know are they then turning to this as an alternative because women are finding it more easily because we've been socialized into finding that emotional connection yeah that's that's super interesting so I was, I was thinking um I don't know if either of you watched uh, humans that was on channel four yeah years ago I remember when I, I was doing my um like my master's dissertation my professor was like you need to watch humans and and then that was uh kind of the relationship between the 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 robot person or woman that would come into the house and then the dad ends up coming and forming mm. this relationship and then there was always that I remember there was like an older man who had this bond with his um robot but almost it was kind of a controlling bond and it was this weird relationship so I, I was just wondering if you kind of foresee um any kind of space where that obviously not to that sensationalized kind of <laughs> show but do you do you foresee in any of the research you've done where there would be you know maybe older people getting that bond from having a robot there like you were saying or um people even turning to a sex robot for um you know deeper intimacy i think there is i mean i don't i don't think the actual sex robot market is really going to go anywhere because it's really expensive it's very difficult to make these things um and you know we can get companionship in other ways and ai disembodied ai may be a valid alternative there so i think it will remain a fairly niche market but in terms of care and companion robots there's a huge amount of work being done on that and and i do see it as a viable option um some people are very against it they don't think that there should ever be um anyone t- you know taking away that human element of care and, and i agree that we should have human elements of care we don't always get that we have a, a an aging population and not enough carers so if we can provide some kind of um some kind of sense of companionship that is independent of relying on another human it may not be a bad thing. What, what would be a bad thing is if it replaces completely contact with other humans. But there is lots of work going on in that. And there've been some trials. Uh, there've been in the Netherlands, they they used a, a, a robot called Alice and, and she went, she again, I'm gendering, uh, went to, to live with a, an older person for a while. And, you know, it was, they, they formed, there was a bond there between the human and the machine. Obviously, it's not a, a reciprocated bond, obviously. But um, the, the woman knew that. The woman that was living with this robot um, knew perfectly well that this was not a real thing. This was not a, in any way sentient or could not understand and yet felt that sense of companionship. And in some ways, we do this when we're at home. We put on the radio or the TV so we can have the sound of other people around us. It's really common to want that sense of sociality. So I I can see that being something that we want. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, when you when you just said that, that made me think whenever, whenever I would get anxiety at university, at night I would put friends on. <laughs> I would just have friends yeah. rolling in the background. It just made me think of that. I never really thought of that as necessarily 
wanting but that obviously sense of it made me feel safe and just would help me go to sleep yeah I think it's really a thing and we know that we, we form these kind of parasocial relationships with characters in tv shows and in books and you know the fan fiction community is an amazing uh a, a sort of evidence of that but yes we do I mean I uh, there were certain shows that I would like to put on and I feel I feel warm and safe because I'm in surrounded by these safe characters and you know maybe it you could take it as, as like a different form almost of having a pet um and I know some people really don't like that analogy but you know we we get a lot of comfort from having another living human around well what if we have something that gives us the the cues of social engagement um is that enough for us to feel as if we have a companionship yeah I think that's a very interesting way to look at it especially I think you know we we tend to think about companionship yeah for maybe the aging population and um, I know there's a lot of charities that deal with that, but, you know, we're just coming out of the pandemic, sort of, maybe. And even young people who were living alone, um, I think, have had a hard time, right, when we weren't allowed to have people over. And, you know, if you're not in a relationship, you don't have this, like, extended mm. household. Um, and I wonder how many people would have, you know, if we'd had more of these things. Actually, I did see there was an article in The Guardian about how Alexa was getting more sexual requests during the pandemic from men and things like that. So I that think there has been... So I think there's definitely been uh, a spike in, in interest in, st- in terms of companionship. And I don't think the, the pet analogy is totally wrong. Like I have a cat and I'm pretty sure the only thing he ever liked me for was the fact that I feed him and I'm warm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And in a way, similarly with dogs, which we tend to think are more, you know, actually love us. We've sort of bred them to. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there's some, there's, um, there's a book out um, recently by Kate Darling, who's a, a researcher at MIT, and she, it's called The New Breed, and it looks at our relationship with animals and how we think about them and, and how we might think about robots. Um, so it's, there's definitely crossover there for sure. Yeah. So I guess my next question is, you know, I, I was just talking about how there's been more sexual requests for Alexa do you think that we can sort of blend the two or like to what extent how can we so should Alexa be up for you know if if she's been living with you for a while maybe it wouldn't be so weird um and yet my research it's I'm like no it's a really interesting one so there are versions not of Alexa I mean when we think about it because the the virtual assistants are essentially really just search engines that are voiced so they're not really going to be able to hold that conversation but there are chatbots out there specifically designed for companionship and the company that makes Harmony have Harmony has a standalone personality in an app so you can download this app for like twenty dollars and you can um, have your own virtual girlfriend again just in girlfriend form no boyfriend form yet. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can then uh, have this this app that will is supposedly remember things about you and um, interact with you and have conversations with you. No, it's not, it's not foolproof. I have not tried it, but my PhD student is currently, she is currently forming this, this relationship with the virtual uh, virtual <laughs> girlfriend. And she says it's not very good. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to kind of her finest that she's going to write about it as part of her PhD. Um, but, you know, that's, it's fascinating. Um, but she said it very quickly, it becomes limited. So, you know, but, but things will, as things improve in, in language processing and AI, and we've seen a big jump forward with GPT-3, we're going to see better and better conversational agents. 
Um, so I do think that's it's really plausible that we will have one that is, you know, our friend, I guess. Um, and it's I don't think that this is a new social category. It's not sort of saying I will replace a human friend with this friend. I don't think it will work like that. I think that we we see this emerging social category and we are aware of its limitations in the same way that we we move our behavior depending on who we're talking to in real life. So we code switch depending on whether I'm talking to my boss or uh, my kid or the dentist. So we have that awareness of who we're talking to and what their, what their boundaries are. And I think that this is a new category um, of sort of artificial companion. Yeah, I think that's a very, a very good point actually. So I have mentioned in the podcast before that I did the Amazon Alexa challenge. And I remember the first year we had this idea of what the conversation was going to be like. And we thought, oh yeah, it's going to be like, you meet someone at a pub and it's going to be <laughs> the same conversation. And then once we actually had a, a bot out there, we saw that people talk to these things very differently than they talk to um, a real human. So even though they're still engaging in a conversation, I think it, it does sort of, yeah, that your description of them being a sort of a conversational search engine is, is very accurate. And even though there's some non-search engine-y. Um, yeah. yeah, so they, they're given this kind of personality almost. And, and the, the, the big companies that make these are pushing for that personalized aspect to it, this personality aspect to it. But essentially, you know, we could ask Alexa what the weather is by saying uh, Alexa weather London. Um, and it would give back the the answer without us having to go, hey, Alexa, what's the weather like today in London? Um, but we are, we are, the whole point is to use this natural language and to to have this interaction as if it's a normal conversation. Yeah, I've just triggered everyone's Alexis by saying. That. <laughs> I know. I was that. Thank Sorry. You. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I say it and I'm like, oh no, wait. Shh, shh. <laughs> I don't actually have a voice assistant in my home. Well, actually, I do because I have to whisper it because it'll start off. So my partner has a one oh. and um I don't want to say it out loud in case he, he chips in I don't like him yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't understand me properly and he just Aww. kind of you know, snarks back so yeah I've uh yeah occasionally I've I've used Siri on occasion on my uh on my iPad when I'm cooking so I have a recipe up and I want to set the timer so it's just set it's not set to do voice activation so I'll mm. press the button and I've set Siri to be in a t- uh, an Irish meal oh wow I love that I was like yeah I know I remember always changing my sat nav um to I think I changed my sat nav to a New Zealand guy one time all all the voices it was like the most comforting I was like okay I can deal with this well I think it's really great that we have the opportunity to do that now rather than being stuck in that sort of you will have this polite female voice responding to you so I'm a I'm a big fan of being able to change the the parameters of that yeah of voices I remember how many that um sex doll sex bot slash yeah Harmony has a very soft Scottish accent so that really threw me when I went to visit the workshop and they said come and meet Harmony and I went into saw this amazing curvaceous Barbie doll like life-size Barbie (laughs) doll-esque uh sex doll and when she started speaking she sounded like the most soft-spoken Scottish uh, uh, you know just <laughs> really incongruous accent coming out and apparently Matt McMullen who who developed the doll uh developed is developing the robot said that he'd listened to about 100 different voices and that was the one that he liked the best so he went with that one wow 
it's really funny because yeah. when I first read it I I don't know why my, I mean I live in Scotland and my, my mind first went like a Billy Connolly kind of accent <laughs> Billy Connolly <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing <laughs> so, oh God. you know I just like imagine this like sex doll yeah with the like enormous like fake looking boobs and stuff just going like you're right pal <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so cool alas oh. no it sounded much more like Kelly McDonald's <laughs> yeah. wow. but, but I love this I love the thought of a Billy Connolly sex story it's incredible. that is kind of funny <laughs> yeah here's a business idea <laughs> I was gonna say this is a pan now <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so, uh, so going back to the book actually um I really loved your the the yeah the chapter where you're talking through your visit to the the factory and I thought you had such like beautiful descriptions of the the sex dolls I don't know it just seemed really I, I from the tone it's, you could have been describing wonderful chocolate or something yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a really weird experience in some ways because I went there expecting to be quite horrified as a feminist so sort of so everyone had written about this thing going you know there are body parts hanging from the ceiling and you know I was kind of like okay that's creepy um so I went in expecting to be quite repulsed by the whole thing mm. and when you go in it's you you walk in and there's they have these dolls on the desk as you go in on the reception desk um they have humans as well but they they have the like uh, dolls dressed up as as receptionists and as you walk into the building there are these you know examples of the dolls in white swimsuits um standing around and um the lady who was showing us around said you know you can you can go ahead and, and touch this and I was you know touch touch their arm or whatever and I was really hesitant because it felt like it was a boundary that I was overstepping someone's personal space because these things were really um I mean you could not you could not mistake these for real life humans but there's something incredibly um human-like um so there is that aspect almost of uncanny valley and then when I went into the the workshop floor and there are, you know, I can see why people make these analogies with kind of like murder, like serial killers la- lairs. Because yeah. they have <laughs> chains hanging from the ceiling. because the, the dolls can't stand up unsupported. And if you rest them in one place for too long, the the things that they're made of silicon, if you it's silicon, and if you rest them for too long, that will um, warp the, mm. the the body. Okay. So they have to hoist them up somehow to keep them from touching things and because they can't stand up on their own. But of course this does look like you're dangling bodies around the place. But it's a practical mm. reason. It's not that they just decided they were really into serial killer chic for their interior design. <laughs> um so that was, you know, in some ways it's initially unsettling. Um but I remember walking up to the to this dangling leg and there was this foot that was just about level with my face <laughs> and it was the most beautifully crafted thing it was like a sculpture it had the tiny crisscross lines of skin that you get on on a foot you know it had these yeah. tiny little de- delicate toes and it's just like this is really well crafted no matter what I think of of the whole concept and no matter how much I know it, it it's objectifying and it's it's perpetuating this body image that is unnatural at the same time this is really a piece of art it's something that someone has spent a long time crafting and is very skilled at making so there was definitely that element in the same way that you'd look at a marble statue and go my god the folds in the fabric and the the, the texture of the skin it was just really beautifully captured so I was 
simultaneously really impressed and also you know trying to reconcile that with the, the, the everything that they stood for so there's a lot of a lot of cognitive dissonance going on there yeah it was yeah. A, such an interesting so there was a few times that like my sort of like built-in sentence prediction sort of what I thought you were going to say was like you were like and here I'm standing behind a wall of nipples it was like yes. what? <laughs> there was actually a wall of nipples I mean it's 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 really and they were they look amazing I mean it's almost like an art piece in itself just this grid of nipples of all different shapes and sizes and colors it was itself a very aesthetic piece of art <laughs> so yeah there were there's some great stuff and you know there's another bit where you just see these uh yeah body parts just kind of on a table being finished <laughs> yeah it's, it's really cool but yeah it was it was interesting just seeing the production from start to finish and just how that's done and you know, at one point, um, they they have to wash away sort of the the all the bits of that they've sort of carved and it leaves it, traces behind. So they have to shower these dolls before they can finish and do the rest of the painting and everything. And so there's someone standing in a shower, sort of soaping the body of this doll in a kind of an almost. <laughs> It's, there's there's a weird intimacy aspect there and at the same time you know out of context very creepy <laughs> so you know it's yeah there was just all these weird things that from different perspectives um it can look it can look really really threatening it can look as if you're you know I don't know washing a body at the same time if you look at it in a different way it does look like someone crafting and creating so there was definitely many ways of reading that room <laughs> Wow, that's I feel like that's so interesting because I was going to say I thought that's not what would have gone to my mind either. There's definitely the the serial killer bedroom with all the body parts hanging off would definitely be what would kind of springs my mind when you think of sex dolls as well. You think they're like seedy and kind of creepy as well. So I think that's a really interesting take to have it more like an yeah, art, and that piece. was one. Of- that was one of the really interesting things actually that I find out. So I went into the, into writing the book without two, well, I thought I didn't have too many preconceptions about this. I was trying to be very open-minded, um, but it turned out that I was being judgy as hell. And one of the things I thought was that this, this whole sex doll thing, well, that's a bit, you know, I thought that's a little, it's a little bit silly. It's, it's just for, you know, people who are just a bit lonely and la la la. No, not at all. Um, the more I researched, the more I was fascinated by the fact that there is a really wonderful and vibrant community of people who own the dolls for many different reasons. And maybe some of them are lonely but others are others are not others are perfectly happy have good friend groups others are in relationships and they also want to do some owning them for sex some own them for companionship some own them because they like the look of them or they collect them or they photograph them it's such a, a diverse community and within that community there is um there are friendships emerging simply because they're all part of the same community. And um, Belinda Middlewick um, is uh, an Australian researcher who's looking into this more and more about the bonds that are formed between people who own these dolls. So far from being isolated and lonely, it's um, it's not at all. And it's not seedy and threatening. It's much more like a hobbyist group. And, you know, I was thinking that there would be um you know they're just kind of initially going well there must be something weird here yeah. <laughs> people are gonna mm-hmm. people are gonna want to live with the doll 
everyone I've talked to has been incredibly respectful of the dolls. They really cherish them. I mean, I don't even, I'm at the stage now where, you know, I'd rather not use the term even sex doll because a lot of people who own the dolls don't want to call them sex dolls because they say it's so much more than that. So that was really, really interesting for me. And um, I was very lucky that there were people in that community who wanted to talk about it and to talk about what they thought of the future with sex robots as well. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really eye opening experience for me. I, I was, yeah, I was, oh, sorry. I was just I was just thinking because I was like, maybe not um, people who are listening don't know much about uh, sex robots or um, kind of any the stereotypes that go with them, or probably have a an image like I did have in my head and what you were saying about it being seedy and creepy and maybe perpetuating um, you know negative female stereotypes and you hear a lot as well about it encouraging potentially like rape or sexual mm. assault because it's that kind of seediness I'm just wondering what what were your kind of overall findings um about the, the people you talk to and what kind of the future would be for this kind of space yeah so um the the idea that that it would cause some kind of harm or that people are buying these to harm them is really it's just not find it in anything at all so like I was saying most people are very respectful and reverent almost of these dolls and um, don't enact any kind of violence on them um, having said that well I did raise that question with some people that I was talking to and they said look there'll always be outliers in the community but that's not the sort of people that we want to be representative of us and we're very very clear about that and I think that you know to, there, there are there will be horrible sexual violence in the world whether or not these dolls exist I do not think that in any way they perpetuate that um, because most of the people I talked to said this was not even on their radar they they want these dolls to be something special to them and they certainly don't intend to abuse them in any way so I, I was quite heartened by that I mean I, I don't get me wrong I think that the, 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 the current form of this reductive stereotype of a sex robot is not particularly beneficial um, and I would push and push for different avenues of intimacy and sex tech um, but I certainly don't think it is the scaremongering doom that um, people are portraying it as uh, there are other there are other things in the world that are much more damaging I don't think this is particular I don't think it is damaging um, in, in and of itself oh, that's very yeah. interesting so one of the ways that I first not that I first heard about sex robots, but that I got to reading a little bit more about them was um, to do with the sort of rape of um, sex robots or child sex robots mm. um, and sort of the ethical questions around them. And I don't remember which company it was. I read this in a paper, but they had an option to make the a sex doll have the personality to like to be frigid yeah so that was roxy triple x okay. in roxy yes roxy is pretty much <laughs> roxy pretty much doesn't exist so roxy was wheeled out at a trade show in about 2010 and too much laughter because really roxy is a bit rubbish um but the inventor who's a very litigious man so i have to be careful about what i say but the inventor of this uh of roxy um said she had different modes so she had yes a wild wendy and frigid farah and things like this um, and, uh, yeah, but, uh, so despite apparently, according to him, many orders being placed, we do not know, no, no researchers can find any evidence whatsoever of Roxy actually existing or ever being created beyond that one demo version from, you know, about 10 years ago. 
Um, but yes, of course, that raises um, issues around should we be able to talk to machines like that? Should we have machines that can, um, you know, what, where does the fantasy line stop? And this is, it's a really interesting one. So yeah, should we have machines that look like women that, um, that can essentially be sexually assaulted or raped? And of course, you can't technically, but this is a machine, so it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not a person. Um, I, I'm unsure. Uh, I, I mean, I certainly don't think it leads to a real world equivalent because we've seen this argument around things like computer games, mm-hmm. you know, oh, if you play violent computer games, will you be violent in real life? And the evidence says, no, that's not the case. And even the sheer scale of people playing computer games, uh, you would see some corresponding rise in, <laughs> in violence that isn't there. It just isn't there. And we know that people have fantasies, sexual fantasies that don't go beyond fantasies. And they act out these sexual fantasies with other consenting adults. And it's not a problem. Now, the issue is then if a robot, can a robot consent, which is a, a big question, of course, it doesn't need to consent right now. It's just a machine. Does that imply something about our own behavior if we have... Uh, any kind of violent interactions with a machine, whether that's sexual or just violent. You know, you see, people show the video of the Boston Dynamics robot dog Spot getting kicked and there are gasps of outrage, you're kicking the dog, you're kicking the dog. This is not a dog, it's a robot, probably a one that will, you know, kill you. Um, <laughs> that's not necessarily true. Uh, but, you know, this is this is the, these crazy robots that, you know, you see these the, the ones where there, there's humanoid robots from Boston Dynamics carrying boxes and there's a man poking it with a big stick to make it fall over. You're just waiting for the robot to turn around and attack him for pushing it. Um, So, you know, these, we have this anthropomorphization that we really, really worry uh, when we see something with lifelike signs being treated badly. Um, And there are lots of conversations around that and about how that should be handled. And there are people who believe that we should never make robots that resemble living things or you know especially humans um and there are others who say that will definitely is you know that it doesn't matter it's just a robot so i think that there's it, it says a lot more about us than it does um it, as humans you know it says a lot about us in terms of what we fear will uh, our behavior will do um and we see similar arguments around you know will it be the downfall of manners if children don't say thank you to alexa and you know probably not no they'll they'll learn in other social contexts what to do and what not to do yeah, yeah. i think that's <clears throat> i'm sorry Ariana, but I, want to... I don't know no, no, you go, you okay. go. <laughs> um like obviously because of my work on abuse and in conversation and ai this is something that i've sort of looked into a lot and i am sort of in the camp that it's not so much that the, the the robots are going to suffer in any way, but rather, yeah, what it might say about us that we are willing to yeah. to do this. And so, I'm definitely a bit iffy about um, sex robots, sex dolls, definitely child sex robots. Just- yeah, that's that's definitely a category that's really difficult. And I think you know there, there are laws against that. And in the UK, that is it is illegal to um, import these childlike sex dolls. And you know immediately my reaction is good. You know that's that, that that's a horrible. Even the whole concept is horrible. <laughs> um, and then there but there have been other people saying, well, maybe this is uh, you know an outlet for people with paedophilic tendencies that means they won't harm a real child right and I, like there's no ethics board in the land that's going to clear a study like that basically um and i think the best thing we can do is say no this should not be encouraged um it's different when it's a representation of an adult um to mimic the real life consensual adult 
um, form of things. So I think that sex, childlike sexual robots, to me, that's a step too far. Mm-hmm. I can see why people would argue that it's perhaps a proxy. I don't necessarily think it will escalate abuse, but I think it's something we want to stay away from because we just don't have the evidence. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was thinking what you were saying as well um, about how, you know, I've, I've never necessarily thought of it like that because I've always had a bit of a worry as well about sex robots and thinking that it could definitely, um, you know, increase uh, negativities towards women, etc. But like you're saying, there's, you know, unfortunately rape and murder and all these awful things have been happening and they're going to continue to happen, I guess, whether the robots are there or not, kind of the sex robots are there or not. But I think it's, I guess it's important to have some kind of guidelines around it. Because I think, like you're saying, the, the child's, the child one is where you, I think you would want to draw the line, but then, but then that makes me wonder why why draw the line then? Or at, yeah, at, at at the um at you know older women and a, a sex robot that represents any kind of person actually. Yeah, it's really really tricky, and I think there's a lot of work to be done. And you know, this is it's not an area that I went. I mean, I was going to say went into too deeply. I didn't, you know, I looked at it, but, you know, I think there's mm. a lot there for, for people who are much more grounded in philosophy um, to look at. And they have done, there's been some really interesting academic work on that in uh, John Danaher and Neil MacArthur's book called Robot Sex. Um, and they've cl- got a collection of academic papers on this. And some of them do delve into those kind of subjects, because I think this is something that is so, you know, so massively involved that we, you know, we don't have immediate answers we have to we have to investigate it from that ethical or philosophical standpoint and you know I want to do the cry of all AI ethics people is I'm not a philosopher <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not a philosopher you know and um uh so yeah it's it's really tricky to to know how best to approach that and where that line should be drawn and for me it's um it it comes around things about personal um rights i think because if we look at the kind of things we can consensually do with other adults and the kind of things you know that the kind of fantasies we can have that never spill into real life then for me that's the the line you know that if if i'm allowed to think it and it only stays a thought or if i'm allowed to do it with another consenting adult so that's okay but when it crosses into an area where vulnerable people like children are involved then we have to be really wary yeah, I think, I guess there's maybe a lot of room for sort of feminist design of sex robots, and I'm sure somebody's already attempting this. I There's obviously the a strange interaction, I think, between the strange movie, um, sex robots and pornography and the way that the sex robots are, are built, even this. Yeah. Because there has been, there, there is a feminist pornography that, yeah. that exists. Um but I guess it kind of, to me, it sort of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning about maybe women's sexuality being a little bit different. And I wonder if robots, which are, in my, in my mind, female sexuality is more about the sort of being desired or being wanted. And if this sex robot, all they can do is sort of lie there and I don't know. It's- <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, I, I mean, I'm kind of, I don't think that men or women are, all that different in terms of desire uh, well I mean I think it's really hard to know because of the problems collecting data but um certainly from a socialized perspective yeah we are women are expected to want different things for sure um and 
Yeah, I think in terms of, so I, I would, I don't particularly like the form that sex robots are supposed to take on this, you know, reductive stereotype form. And um, I held a sex tech hackathon in uh, 2016 and again in 2017, where we got together about 50 people each year and we said, how can we create sex technology that moves away from this idea of the replica human, which is a like a tale as old as time. You know, there's stories about creating the perfect artificial partner that go back thousands of years. But what if we can build something that thinks outside of that really narrow niche. So we had some really cool um, things that were like, there was uh, the winning one was some soft robotics. It was almost like tentacles that you could put on your body and they would gently caress and squeeze you. Um, There was, it was really cool. There were, there were, you know, there was a blanket you could put around you had sensors in it and those sensors would trigger with a virtual event so that you could have the feel of rose petals falling on your skin. So, you know, it was like, you know, if if I was designing a sex robot, what would I want? Would I want a giant duvet that's made up of, you know, (laughs) breasts or, you know, a, a, a a rubber ring that's just penises. I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's like, anything or would you want the face of this your does it have a face if it had a face could it just be like a screen with little erotica on it you know whatever gets you <laughs> off and uh, so I think that we're really limiting ourselves um by sticking to this idea of trying to make a realistic human read woman uh sex robot when first it's really hard to do and secondly I don't think it's just because of the sex aspect there's definitely something more to it and that form is the form that is lending itself to not just sex but also companionship so yeah. I wonder also if we can see it if we will see an increase in these virtual um artificial disembodied um girlfriends these characters and and you know it would be nice to get beyond the girlfriend thing as well but um can we will we see an increase in that because they are a lot cheaper to make um there's a lot more personalization that can go on um they are more adaptive and you could if you if the sex part is a strong component then you can combine that with sex toys so I think there are better avenues than this reductive sex robot one that is currently it's it, it's a yeah it's it's really not a big thing right now no matter what the newspapers say and I don't really think it's going to be a big thing in the future <laughs> Well, maybe actually this is a good place to end up. I think we've got a nice um, sort of conclusion um, that sex robots are probably not coming (laughs) to take over the world. (laughs) Um, But I think, yeah, that's a a great um, sort of way to to think about them in the future is maybe this idea of a, a virtual character that sort of connects to existing sex toys, maybe to sex dolls. And yeah, um, yeah, this following on with companionship more than strictly sex I guess yeah and I think we could yeah we can find companionship in many things and you know my vision of tech and intimacy in the future is not just to replace human human intimacy but to mediate it as well so that we are enhancing connections with each other rather than just replacing them Uh, and I I don't I think that we are and, and I end my book like this I think that we are fundamentally human social biological creatures who really crave that human connection so i'm not too worried that we'll ever be replaced oh, I, love that. I love that <laughs> yeah oh, wow, that's <laughs> a great way to end yeah i feel like it's always such like gloom and doom when it comes to, <laughs> to technology and sex robots and and relationships so thank you so much for 
for joining us. Thank you. Really Thank great. You. Um, so I will link to your, well, we will link to your book um, in the, the podcast notes and on our website. And I definitely recommend the book. <laughs> it's really so entertaining, so beautifully written and just so interesting. And it just brings up so many interesting topics. And I like the sort of the positivity of it. Yeah, I thank like you very much. Been, yeah, I feel like this has been really great. It's good to actually hear um, about sex works from a positive perspective, and not the like we we're saying, not the kind of end of the world that we hear in, in <laughs> media. So yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you. Thanks very much for having me on.